0: This is KMTT, Kimi Tzion, Te'etzei Torah. And today the Shur in Parashat HaShavuah. The Shur in HaShavuah for Sefer Bamidbar, the entire Sefer Bamidba, will be given by Rav Alex Israel. Hello, this is Alex Israel. Um, and we're going to talk this week about Parshat uh, Pinchas. Um, and we're actually going to try and continue a little bit Uh, with what we spoke about last week Uh, last week we raised a certain question um, about Midian so let me try and put this in perspective uh, this week in talking about Parashat Pinchas and um, and we will even those who didn't hear the shear last week will be able to pick this up as a brand new shear. those who heard it last week will uh, be able to solve some of the questions that I left open um Parashat Pinchas starts off with the bloody and dramatic episode of Pinchas's uh, killing, actually it took place at the end of last week's parasha, but the the, the act of zealotry or you know, zealousness of Pinchas, uh, where Pinchas saw uh, two people, an Israelite man and a Midianite woman, uh, enter promiscuously into a tent of some sort, Hakubah, And uh, this was in the middle of a. uh, what one might be able to call call a religious orgy which was going on between the women of Midian and the men of Israel. And a plague ensued, a punishment from God. The way it was stopped was that Pinchas uh, ben Elazar ben Aaron ha-Kohain took a spear and killed the two of them, publicly executing them. And that act of zealousness sent shockwaves throughout the camp and stopped the sinning and uh, saved the people. The perpetrators here are uh, Zimri ben Salun, the Seabate Abla Shimoni, as we read in Pasikud Dalad, Zimri from the tribe of Shimon, the, the prince of the tribe himself, and uh, the woman was Kosbi Batsur, a princess of Midian as a response to this God tells us to um, make the Midianim into our enemy and kill them because they are your enemies over the trickery that they have tricked you with the uh, with the the matter of Pa'or um, the The parsha then suddenly goes into a break and those of people who don't pay too much attention don't realize that there actually is a continuation of the story which can be found in Perak Lamad Aleph. Aleph we have the story of uh, the actual battle where God says to Moshe, take vengeance for B'nai Israel from the Midianim and what they do is they send a group of people it's actually a, a thousand from each tribe an army of 12,000 people to, to, to wage war against uh, against Midian by the way this shows that Midian are not a particularly difficult nation to fight to take 12,000 people is really very, very small number, um, and, leading them, is Pinchas Ben-Alazar HaKohain, um, Pinchas himself, and, uh, they go and they fight Midian, and, actually, tells us that they kill, uh, the leaders, at Evi, Rekem, Sur, Chor, and Reva, and when we hear the name Chor, we realize that these are their kings, these are their, uh, that in the same way as Zimri was a prince so the same way Kosbi the Midianite princess, she was the daughter of the king uh, by the way, in the, again in the parasha in Perak we're told that this was all instigated by Bilam himself um, the question is what what is this vengeance against Midian why are we so interested in getting them back what is it about Midjan that is so despicable, so dangerous, so threatening? Um, and so, what I want to want to uh, deal a little bit is Midjan and who they are and how they acted, and um, and to understand what was what exactly was going on here. Um, and I'm going to start off with a question I raised last week uh, to try and understand uh, the issue. Last week we read of the story of uh, Balak hiring Bilam to uh, curse the people. Balak, the king of Moab, sees the Israelites on his northern border and he wants to somehow uh, remove the threat that he feels is from them. And that's why he hires Bilam ben Baor, the prophet or the uh, seer, uh, who is able to curse them. Of course God stops him from cursing them. But the strange thing about the story is that at the beginning of the, the story of Bilam, we see that it is not only Moav, the kingdom of Moav, who want to hire Bilam. It says, Moav mm-hmm. talks to Midian. Um, later on, when they actually go to consult with him and hire him, it says, mm-hmm. Moav and Midian go together in order to hire Bilam. The reason why this is strange is because in the whole rest of the story, when when when, when Balak sends sorry when Balak sends further messages to Bilam, um, it says Vayosef od Balak sarim rabim What happened to the Midianites? Later, when all the curses turn into blessings, it is only Balak who is there, and the it is a court scene of the kingdom of 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 Midian. Uh, sorry, the, if the kingdom of Moab. Sorry, that was an error. It was a court scene of the kingdom of Moab. It is totally Moab. Suddenly, at the end of the story, at the end of chapter twenty, at the end of the story in chapter twenty-five, it says, "Vayishav were in a place called Shitim. and the people began to um, prostitute themselves or to be sexually promiscuous with but not Moab, the daughters of Moab, and the people called them to their feasts, their religious feasts, and the people ate, uh, the Israelites, and they bowed to their gods, and B'nai Israel came to Baal and that is when God tells us, that we've got to kill the perpetrators here, and at that point, suddenly the Midianim are back. The Midianim are back. And uh, here we see Cosby, uh, the Midianite woman, and uh, then the war against the Midianites. Why don't we go to war against Moav? So first of all, we have a sort of classic structure. At the beginning of the story, at the beginning of chapter 22, we have Midian together with Moab. Then in the story of Bilam and Balak, it's totally Mo'av. At the end of the story with Balpa'ar in chapter 25, it is Midian and Mo'av conjoined again. What happened to Midian in the middle? Who are Midian? Where did they disappear? And uh, why are we so upset with Midian in particular? What is it? Now, one reason why we don't fight Mo'av could be that uh, we actually have a tradition that Mo'av. Uh, we never actually attack them. Uh, we know this from Sefer Dvarim. In Dvarim chapter 2, uh, we read about the journey of the second year in the Midbar, uh, where we are passing from the area we nowadays called Sinai through the Negev um, to come round opposite Jericho. And uh, we're told there that uh, God spoke to the people and he said to them, uh, bet pasuku chapter 2, verse 17, where Deber Shemelai Le Mor Moshe says, Atau Veriomit Gvu et Ar, you were going past Moab, but the Karavte Mulbene Amon, um, don't fight with them, okay? Don't fight with them. We're not allowed to fight the people, uh, or in Pasuk uh, Tet. These are our cousins. Ammon and Moav are the children of Lot. God says, "I have given them their land. You are not to take their land." We certainly, at this period in history, are not allowed to fight the Moavim, and therefore it could be that what the Moavim do, uh, we don't fight them, not because of what they do or don't do but rather because God has given explicit instruction that we're not allowed to fight them. We are allowed to fight Sichon. we are allowed to fight Og, we are allowed to fight Midian, three kingdoms we are allowed to fight. Um, but we're not allowed to fight three other kingdoms. Amon and Moab, who are descended from Lot, and God says, I have given them their land. Um, and then also we're not allowed to fight Edom, descended from Asaph. Now, by the way, I should mention, this will become uh, important soon, that uh, the three we're not allowed to fight are all in their ancestral lands. The three that we are allowed to fight actually take over other people's lands. Um, And there might be some very strong uh, notion of God designating certain lands. We are designated Eretz Canaan, as we know, and that might have something to do with it. Certain predestination of who gets which land but let's go back to the story of Midian try and understand who Midian are and what they do um, there are certain kingdoms certain people who have have lands that we know throughout Tanakh around Eretz Israel in the north we have in Syria Aram Okay, we will even uh, have the area of, later on of Tsar, Phoenicia on the Lebanese coast. Um, in the Arava, what we nowadays call the Arava, we have Edom, Mitzrayim is a fixture. If I go round uh, counterclockwise, we start off with Mitzrayim, then we go round Edom, Moab, Amon, Aram, Tsar. These are nations who exist throughout Tanakh in their geographical locations. However, there are certain other kingdoms who are nomadic. One of them is clearly Amalek. But another one is Midyan. Midyan, well, we meet them. Well, first of all, Midyan is clearly, again, would seem part of the family in some sense. um, The family of Avraham. As we see earlier on in Sefer Breshit, says there in Sefer Breshit that uh, that Abraham has descendants, Vatelet Loat, Keturah's descendants, Vatelet Lord Zimran, Ve Tikshan, Ve Medan, Ve Midian. Is this the same Midian? We don't quite know. But of course, we meet Midian in uh, Shemot uh, chapter 2, where <coughs> um, Moshe has, has killed the Egyptian. And he has to escape. It seems like Midian have a land. Kohain Midian Sheva Banot, and this Kohain happens to be Yitro. So there is a Kohen Midian, and there is an Eretz Midian. Um, is there really an Eretz Midian? Later on in the, in the Torah, we don't find Eretz. We don't find a land of Midian. In fact, we do find many cases. For example, in Sefer Shoftim. Where two nations hanging out together. Are Dafka Amaleka Midyan. You'll find this in Shoftim. uh, Particularly the story of Gid'on. Shoftim Perek Vav. Where it says. In the story of Gid'on, Shoftim Perek Vav. Midyan control us for seven years. And how do they. What are they. So it says Possit Gimel. Fayya im zara'i Isra'il wa la mijan wa mala'ikuv nikara wa alav. Every year when the crops ripened, suddenly from nowhere along with kan bijan wa mala'ik ubenay kedem it's not clear who they were. They Dayahanu alayhim and they encanted against them with shchitat yeful haaretz. Ki haymu nikhem ya they came with the flocks they come with their tents and to them and their um, and their gmalim there is no number Midian here are described as somewhat cruel and also they are described as a people who simply emerge out of the desert and are able to take certain uh, sweep through the land they're mobile, they have tents they have camels they're allied with Amalek and in the same way by the way that we know that Amalek, there's no Eretz Amalek again, there are times when they settle down sort of like today the Bedouin and the Negev the Bedouin are essentially a, a travelling people, a nomadic tribe, but there are times when they settle down, for example in Sefer Shmuel um, when Shaul has to kill Amalek it says they come to a place which is called Ira um, Maliki. Um, okay, where is this? Vayavo Sha'ul Shmuel Aleph Peretet Vav Pasuk Vav or Pasuk Hei, sorry... There an Ir Amalek. But we never find in Tanakh over a long period of time an Eretz Amalek. Amalek is essentially a nomadic tribe who come out of the desert. They're a desert people. They travel a lot on camels. We see that later on in Sevei Shmuel, And Midian would seem to be the same. Uh, Midian do not have land. Um, occasionally they settle down for long enough in a place that they create a homestead. But in their essential culture... Uh, they don't have land. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but maybe now we understand um, what sort of um, culture they are. Um, and, and what their problem might be. Let me explain. There's a big difference between Moab and Midian. I go back to the last chapter of Parashat Chukat's chapter 21 to explain. Um, on the east bank of the Jordan, in the north, you have the Golan. In the south, you have the kingdom of Moab. Moab is uh, parallel to the Dead Sea. It's on the east bank of the Dead Sea, opposite Engedi, Gedi, etc. In between is the area uh, which we took over, what is known as Aravot Moab, between Nahal Aranon in the south and the Yabok River, uh, where Yaakov fought with the Malach in the in in the north. There's this region of land on the east bank of the of the uh, Jordan. And this was controlled by Sichon Melech Emori. Now we're told explicitly there in Chukat in Bamidba Perak HaFalaf that these were not Sichon's ancestral lands either. It says there, and you might wonder if Sichon Melech Emori is the king over these lands, then why is it called Aravot Moav? Why would it be called Aravot Moav? Clearly at some earlier stage it belonged to Moav. Um and indeed that is that is uh exactly said here in Pasuk Chavav, Perek Chavad of Pasuk Chavav, Ki Cheshpon ir Sichon Melech Marei vehu nilcham b'melech Moab harishon. He had taken this from the first king of Moab, v'yikach um, et kol arzo miyado ad arenon. Al-Israel have just had a victory against um against Sihon Melechem Uri and totally decimated his army totally decimated him so much so that no one is left there and we're going to take over the farms and villages of the east bank of the Jordan hence we will see the famous parsha of B'nai Gad and B'nai Ruudain next week um, where those uh, tribes come and ask for their own land we've totally taken over this area and uh, the question is who have we depla- displaced so now we're going to see the difference between Mo'av and Midian. Um, Midian, it would appear, the nomadic tribe, actually lived in the area of the Arvot Mo'av. This I once heard from Raviol bin Nun that uh, we see that Midian were Dathgir in this area. And we can prove it from certain places, but um, our assumption is like this. Midian um, had been displaced by Meneh Israel. Meneh Israel waged a war and we destroy Sihon. And now uh, Sih- Midian who had had sort of an arrangement with Sihon, Meneh that they were allowed and given provision to live in their land are homeless. Moab has a totally different agenda. Moab sees us on their border and they're nervous. They're either nervous we're going to attack. Again, I suggested last week that that's unlikely that we're going to attack because we're not allowed to fight them, and they know that we could have attacked them and we didn't. But it's more likely that Moab, as we see in the parasha last week, in the haftarah last week, that Moab are interested in getting their land back, their original ancestral lands of Rabbat Moab. They want to get their land back. That's why they're interested in getting rid of us. In other words, if they cannot displace us, if they cannot get rid of us, they're not interested. So Moab are only interested in being able to free the lands of Arvot Moab. Moab are interested in ridding us from their northern border. If they see they can't, they know they can't fight us in battle. After all, we destroyed Sichon and Sihon overpowered Moab, so they haven't got a chance against Israel. So conventional warfare they cannot do. However, they do want to get rid of us. Their only recourse to action is Bilam to hire some sort of supernatural means, Navi, to curse, to use magic, to somehow excise us from this area. But that is not the case with with, with Midian. Midian have a different interest. Midian simply want to be able to farm their fields and to live in the land. And that is where Midian come in at the beginning. They see themselves as natural allies of Moab. They say, Moab... Okay, you also want to rid yourselves of an Israel, we will come with you. And they engage in the initial overtures uh, with uh, Bilam However, soon they lose faith in this method. It seems not to meet their needs. Maybe it's too slow. Maybe it is, you know, not going to work. Um, It's not clear why they dropped out. One suggestion possibly could be that as a nomadic tribe, they don't have particular prestige. And if they don't have particular prestige, Um, then maybe the king uh, we said that all these scenes with with Bilam and Balak take place in the royal court in the high society of Moabite society, it could be that uh, it's not so much that the Midianite dropped out but uh, the king of Moab didn't want them around Uh, that's possible Um, however Midian decide that they will choose a different course of action and it would appear that Midian uh, basically decide that if you cannot uh, beat them, you should join them. Or rather, that the best way to do this would be to engage in a mass act of seduction. And uh, basically, if they can uh, convince B'nai Israel, if they can take their women and marry their women to B'nai Israel, they will be able to overpower them. It reminds me of the story of Shechem. Um, it reminds me of the story of Shechem where we see that Yaakov moves with his enormous uh, caravan of people next to the city of Shechem which wasn't such a big city. <speaking in Hebrew> he encamps by the city. He ba- buys a field next to Shechem. Ben, uh, he buys a, 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 a field from Hamar and starts setting up his own camp. He sets up his own temple. And suddenly now there's the story of the rape. And uh, what's the idea? So what does Hamor try and convince his people? He tries to turn round to them and say, uh, The assumption is that we can turn round." That Shem and Chamor can turn around to B'nai Israel and uh, we can join hands and become one nation. Now, clearly, Shem, who have been in place for a long time, uh, Yaakov is the newcomer. Uh, what's their interest? Well, they see Yaakov, and Yaakov is somewhat threatening. He's strong, he's powerful, he's got an identity, and basically, it's not only the problem of the rape there. Um, if we can, since we are the fixture there, if we can in some way marry with you we can stay in place, we will be able to keep our advantage, nobody's going to take our land away from us, and we will be able to continue where we are. And this is exactly where Midian are interested. Midian say, okay, we can't beat them on the battlefield, we can't beat them in the diplomatic field or the religious field, what we will simply do is seduce them, get them involved in the most enticing um, religious rituals and sexual orgies They send their women out to the battlefield in order to, you know, seduce the soldiers. Reminds me in a certain sense of the uh, Ulysses, the Lotus Eaters, where uh, they're not going to continue fighting because they're too interested in the drug of the lotus plant. Uh, Likewise here. Um, But Israel, uh, if they can just enjoy the nirvana of, uh, of, of the... What's going on here? The Midrash has a wonderful reading of the Psukim here. The Psukim use a lot of uh, several several verbs in order to describe the seduction in Moav. If you look in the first Psukim of Chavhei, the end of Parashat Balak, Vayeshev Yisrael b'Shitim, Israeler in Shitim, Vayachal Am is not El benot Moab, So what's Vayachel? They began liznota b'not What do you mean? He began. You know, why don't it say vayiznu bnei Israel im b'not moav? What's vayyachel liznota b'not And then it says vatikren alam lizivchey aloihem. They called them vayochal alam vayistachvu lehem vayitzamed Israel abal poar vayifharaf Hashem bnei Israel. So many verbs, so many stages. The midrash describes a situation where bnei Israel have now come into these areas, and I think the way it depicted is so, so telling it says what happened um, it says that what the Midianites did was they made booths um, and uh, these booths were in the marketplace and they had all sorts of wares which they put outside they had an older lady in the marketplace selling cloths outside and then they had a younger woman inside who was herself uh, happy to prostitute her body and the young woman inside would say, "Hey, come inside. You can get a cheaper deal inside." And they would offer them wine, and they'd say, "Don't you think these are beautiful cloths?" Um, it says in the in the midrash uh, that the girl inside would say, Hurry ben it, shave barolatz You can find this in Bamigbaraba Parsha Parashachaf sit down make yourself comfortable and she had wine there and she was wearing perfume and she had makeup and she turned around and says we are so open to you why are you so restrictive you jews you don't want anything to do with anybody else and uh, eventually she came along and said you know come to our our meals uh, it talks about the yitzahara, the sexual desire, getting hold of these young men uh, who went out to the market, and they said, uh, look, I can't come to your meal, I don't want to, so she'd say, look, just eat, don't bow down to Davodah Zarah, in other words, following the psukim, it says, mm-hmm. they were invited to the feast the way the Midrash reads it is, they invited them to the feast, but the people refused, they said, we can't come to a pagan festival, so she said, just come and eat. Uh, you can eat glatt uh, kosher vegetables. And so they came to eat. But eventually they found themselves uh, being involved in the religious rites, and even worse, by some Yisrael Abel We can almost visualize this. I'm Yisrael who have been cordoned in a, in a wasteland of a desert and suddenly come into uh, farms and we have this nomadic population who uh, set up their their fairs and their uh, marketplaces, Um, and actually their real agenda is to stay in place. Their real agenda is in some way they are the Midianites, they know exactly the powers of diplomacy, they know exactly how they can uh, find their way into the hearts of uh, each different population and basically... um, Uh, use any method of persuasion or uh, you know all sorts of underhand methods in order to ensure that their interests are kept and that's exactly uh, our battle with Midian Midian it's one thing if you have an enemy, I can cope with an enemy but Midian who have their agenda and they want to be there but they don't uh, they're going to use any underhand method be it seduction be it Kilo Arayot be it Avoda Zara, these are a real threat for us because uh, they act as if they're our friends, but really they're our enemies. They represent values and a lifestyle which is willing to sell their souls, willing to sell their bodies and their souls and everything else. This is exactly the culture of of, of the Bedouin, of the Wanderer, who uh, lives off the good of other people as long as his interest is kept. This Midianite culture, almost like a Amalek, is a very pernicious and dangerous culture to us. The Midianites are exceptionally different from, from Moab. Moab is a nation-state. Midianites are totally different. And that's uh, why they act in this very seditious way. Um, and maybe that's exactly what we find so objectionable, or what I should say, not ourselves, but rather HaKadosh Baruch finds so objectionable about them. Uh, and therefore, Tzororet HaMidyanim these uh, devious techniques, the deviousness, the underhand methods of Midyan, um, associated with their avodah zara, with their willingness to send their girls to the battlefield to sell their bodies, um, this is what makes them such a threat, and therefore um, we we end up going to war against them. That's it for this week. Thank you very much.